Hey, y'all, we're rerunning two episodes today, which means that you'll hear two hosts, me and Tracy V. Wilson. Enjoy the show. Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson, and it's August 12th. Isaac Singer received a patent for his sewing machine on this day in 1851. Now, I learned to sew on a Singer sewing machine. So did my mother. Probably so did her mother. I know for sure that her mother had a Singer sewing machine. So did my other grandmother. And there are several of those treadle-style Singer sewing machines floating around our family that have been passed down. But Isaac Singer didn't invent that sewing machine. And the Singer sewing machine definitely was not the first one. There's a lot of debate about who really should get the credit for inventing the sewing machine. That song from Schoolhouse Rock names Elias Howe, and he was one of several men who patented various machines that were capable of sewing chains of stitches in one way or another. What Singer did, though, was to make a practical machine and then to introduce it into the home market. So this machine that he developed, using technology that a lot of people had already been working on, made lines of stitches, it could sew in curves, it used a presser foot to keep the fabric steady, and it had a thread control mechanism, and it could sew 900 stitches a minute. He worked on this at a machine shop owned by Orson C. Phelps, and the men in the machine shop also helped on the actual work. So this was a group effort with a lot of influences. And like I said, there were a lot of other people who had patented various sewing machines and various technologies related to sewing machines and various devices that in the right context you could think of was sort of like sewing machine. One of them like I said, was Elias Howe, and he sued Isaac Singer for patent infringement. This led to a long and contentious legal back and forth that finally ended when several inventors established the Sewing Machine Trust in 1856. This was basically a patent pool that gave a lot of different inventors the rights to work with this patented technology. And it was after that that Isaac Singer really got into making the sewing machine into a home appliance instead of an industrial appliance that would be used, you know, mass-producing clothing or something similar. This machine was revolutionary. It was expected at the time that women would know how to sew and that women would make a lot of clothing, do a lot of repairs, make a lot of household goods. But hand sewing was incredibly time-consuming. So Singer's machine, which was made for the home, made the whole process exponentially faster. By 1860, I.M. Singer & Company was the largest sewing machine manufacturer in the world. And even though the sewing machine itself was really the invention of a lot of different people who worked on a lot of various aspects of sewing machines, the name Singer still dominates. Thanks to Tari Harrison for her audio skills on This Day in History class. You can learn more about Isaac Merritt Singer, including the much seedier side of his personal life, which I did not get into today at all, in the July 27th, 2016 episode of Stuff You Missed in History class. And you can learn some more about overall sewing machine history and that contentious battle that played out between so many different inventors in the March 27th, 2013 episode of Stuff You Missed in History Class. You can subscribe to This Day in History Class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. 
Tune in tomorrow for a female first during World War I. Hello, welcome to This Day in History class, where we dust off a little piece of history every day. The day was August 12, 1883. The quagga went extinct when the last one in captivity died at a zoo in Amsterdam. The quagga was a subspecies of plains zebra that lived in South Africa, though it was initially believed to be its own species. It had stripes like other zebras, but its brown and white stripes were limited mainly to the front of its body. At the back of the quagga's body, the stripes faded into a solid brown or tan-colored coat. Its legs and tail were also not striped, and they were light in color. The name quagga was based on the sound of the animal's call. Once Europeans began colonizing South Africa, they started hunting quaggas. They shot and killed quaggas for sport, for food, and for their coats. They also captured some to herd sheep and shipped some out of the country to be displayed in zoos. Because the animals were so skittish and high energy, some farmers used them as guards, and some pulled carriages in the early 1800s in England. The vegetation that quaggas ate was also food for domesticated livestock, so quaggas were considered competitors of sheep, goats, and other animals the colonists valued. Though quaggas had been sent to zoos, breeding programs were unsuccessful. Quaggas were most likely extinct in the wild by the late 1870s. And on August 12, 1883, the last quagga in captivity, a mare held at Amsterdam's Natura Artist Magistra Zoo, died. She had been living there since May of 1867. The cause of her death is unknown. At the time, people did not realize that her death signified the extinction of the subspecies, perhaps because so many people used the word quagga to refer to all zebras. Only 23 stuffed quagga, mounted quagga body parts, seven quagga skeletons, and samples of quagga tissue remain. The quagga was the first animal that was declared extinct to have its DNA analyzed, which is what led to the conclusion that it was a subspecies of plains zebra. Scientists determined that some of the quagga genes might still be present in plains zebra today. In 1987, the quagga project was launched in South Africa. The project is an attempt to bring the quagga back from extinction using selective breeding from 19 zebras that had fewer stripes on their hindquarters and had other quagga characteristics. Quagga bred from these plains zebras can have coat patterns that closely resemble those of extinct quaggas. The first rebred quagga was born in 1988, and the project aims to have hundreds of quagga-like zebras and multiple free-ranging populations. Some researchers have argued that quagga might have had distinct, non-morphological, genetically coded characteristics, so a selective breeding program could not create a real quagga. And there's no guarantee that they'd have the same habits and behaviors of the extinct quagga. 
But the scientists at the Quagga Project say that animals with the same appearance, form, and structure of the extinct quagga can justifiably be called quaggas. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at T-D-I-H-C podcast. Thanks for joining me on this trip through time. See you here in the exact same spot tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.